Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Trying to get a beer before or after a Nats game and are unable to get the bartender's attention? Well, Walters has solved that problem and more. Welcome to Walters, where Walters 24 self pour beer wall awaits you. Ask your server for a beer card and hit the beer wall, pay by the ounce, and try a few suds before you settle on your favorite. Follow us on Untapped to get notified of all the new beers we bring in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shortstop Garcia further back on the left of the pitch. Swung on, knuckling line drive. Caught by Bell on the short hop. He tries to throw to third and safe there. Did he catch it in the air? Did he catch it in the air? The, the batter, Hayes, did not run. But they didn't go to the bag to get the out at first. Well, that's All what kinds Derek, of confusion on the field. That's what Derek Shelton's arguing about. Nationals are leaving the field thinking they have a double play, doubling Sawinski off third. So they're ruling that Bell caught it in the air. Yes. So on a soft line drive, it's a line drive double play, and Ciszek, just like that, is out of the inning. Well, the umpires are going to huddle. Nationals are leaving the field, but they, they may have to come back on the field, depending on what is ruled here. They just signaled that the run at the plate scores. Okay. Well, what? so what they're saying is because because Adrianza tagged out the runner Instead rather of stepping than stepping on, on the, the base. base. But again, is that a timing play? Because Swinski never tagged up because the Nationals didn't appeal that he left early and failed to tag up. Because if Adrianza had tagged third base first before tagging the runner, then the runner who broke for the plate is out. Right, but then it's like he left early, but they, they never appealed. They got right. the third out before the appeal, and it becomes a timing play. I don't know how to say this nicely about that, but once again, they deem that uh, Adrianza never touched the base, which he clearly did. He touched the run and the base, so therefore there was no appeal. They said the run scores in their judgment. We couldn't appeal because we went off the, we went off the field, being that they called an out, innings over, so what do you do? Stand on the field? No. And then all of a sudden, when Shelton came out, they told Sechek uh, to hold off. But there we stand with the, the run scored. You know, I felt like we did everything right. We caught the ball. You know, he threw it. He tagged the runner and the base. Um, they said he didn't touch the base. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 30th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park, which is still standing as best as we can tell off what happened on Wednesday afternoon. I'm Al Galdi, host of the 
Al Galdi podcast. A long time ago, there was a skit that used to run on Saturday Night Live. It was before our time, but I've seen the replays of it. Two wild and crazy guys. Well, we on Wednesday afternoon at Nationals Park had the wild and crazy game. A game that was bonkers. A game that was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And it was a game that did result in a Nationals loss as the Nats still remain without a series sweep this season. 8-7 was the final to the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park. The game took three hours, 48 minutes. At least one run was scored in nine of the 18 half innings in the game. The fifth inning by itself featured a bizarre play to end the top of the fifth and then a bizarre play to end the bottom of the fifth. Mark, we have seen some crazy games for the Nats just over these last few seasons, and we probably will see more crazy games. I don't know that we've seen a game quite like this one that went down on Wednesday afternoon. No, and, you know, my takeaway at the end of it all, Al, was I don't know that what we watched was good baseball. <laughs> Not sure there was that much good in there, but it was interesting at the very least. And we saw some things that we've never seen before and you may never see again. And as a matter of fact, the crew chief who's been doing this for 24 years had never seen a play that resulted in the call that they called there to end the top of the fifth, but it is in the rule book. We'll get to it. It was a very bizarre and obscure rule that was invoked that essentially gave the Pirates the run that was the difference in the game, even though they didn't actually deserve it based on what they did on the field. But by the book, they're credited with that run. And wouldn't you know that that ends up being the the outcome of the game. The Nats lose by one run. There's a lot of other reasons they lost this game. We'll get into it all. But it is pretty remarkable that that one extra run they were granted, much to everyone's confusion, was the difference in the game. So let's just get right into it because there's so much to unpack from this game. So you had these two strange plays in the same inning, in the fifth inning, one to end the top of the fifth, one to end the bottom of the fifth. So Steve Ciszek was pitching for the Nats in the fifth inning. He, in the game, faced just one batter. He threw just two pitches. He got two outs. He, in the top of the fifth, recorded two outs on what ended up being a double play on which the Pirates scored a run to tie the game at four. Runners on second and third, one out. Ciszek got key Brian Hayes to line into a 3-5 double play. Okay, fine. Let's move to the bottom of the fifth. Not so fast, my friend. A run for the Pirates was allowed to score on, yes, what was the double play. And this is due to this arcane rule that was buried underneath the center of the earth, it feels like. A rule by which the Nats did not properly appeal the runner leaving third base too soon. Now, I think logic kicks in. And for most people, you say, well, okay, uh, the tagging of the trailing runner after the lineout would seem to render moot the runner leaving third base too soon, right? I mean, logically, that's what you would think. Not the case. The Nats ended up leaving the field. They did not ultimately properly appeal the runner leaving third base too soon, and the run was allowed to score. But it wasn't just that. Nobody knew what the heck was going on. The Nats were confused. The Pirates were confused. Everyone watching the game was confused. Masson went to break not knowing what the heck was happening. Nobody did. The thing is, though, now that we've had a chance to sort of take it all in, I do want to give the umpires credit for this. They did a lousy job explaining this to everyone. They didn't even try to explain it to the crowd. But it does appear they got this right, that the rule, as I think dumb as it is, was applied properly. Is that your understanding? I believe so with a couple of caveats here that I'll get to. And it has more to do with the way they called it all as it's happening 
and in the process didn't really leave the Nationals with, I think, a fair opportunity to do what they needed to do to finish it all out. So the rule is, for all you rulebook aficionados, rule 5.09C4. This involves appeal plays. So when you have this situation where a runner leaves the base too soon, did not tag up, and now you're going to throw back there to get him out, you have to definitively show that that's what you are doing, that you're making a throw to that base and stepping on that base to appeal the fact that he left too soon, at which point the umpire can call him out and take that run off the board. The problem here is that, well, it's a couple things. First, when Josh Bell makes throw across the diamond, A. Ray Adrianza catches the ball, his first move is he tags the runner out, and then he does step on third base as well. Now, the Nationals are claiming that the umpire did not see him step on third, and that if they had seen him step on third, it would have all been fine and the inning would have been over and nobody scores. I'm not entirely sure from reading this rule if that's allowed because that's essentially trying to get two different outs on one throw in a different manner. And I think this is where the appeal thing comes into question. I believe they did need to explicitly make it clear they were throwing to third base for the purpose of appealing, not for the purpose of tagging out that other runner who was also there at the time, okay? That's one part of the problem. The other part of this is that, yes, by rule, you do have to formally make that appeal, and you have to do so before your team leaves the field. And this is where I think the umps did not do it as well as they could have. As far as the Nats are concerned initially, the inning's over, everybody comes off the field. And it's only after that fact that they became aware of the fact that they still needed to do the appeal. And now the umpires told them, you can no longer do it because you left the field. And as Davey Martinez said, what are we supposed to do? In our mind, the inning is over. We've been told it's three outs. The run had not was not initially called. They huddled up. Then Shelton came out. They huddled up again. They talked to New York. All this stuff before they finally determined it. Are the Nats supposed to stay out there? I guess the answer is yes. They're supposed to stay out there till the bitter end and then officially run the appeal. So the sympathy I would have for the Nationals and the complaint I would have for the umpires is that while they did interpret the rule correctly, I'm not sure they gave the Nationals a fair opportunity to run the appeal the way it's supposed to be run. Yeah, I also would say this. I mean, we now at MLB games are supposed to get what we get at NFL and NHL games, which are explanations from umpire and crews to the fans and to the television audiences of what the heck is happening and how you don't address this over, you know, the house speaker, over the stadium speaker. I don't understand that. That to me is a bad job. I mean, you know, baseball is entertainment at its core. You are there to please the ticket-paying and television-watching fans. And to not even address them while this is happening, I just thought that that was a bad look. You should never have the mass confusion that we ended up having. I got to say this, too. You know, I love baseball, but it is filled with all kinds of minutia and all kinds of stuff that I think just puts people to sleep. You know, it's like reading the tax code. And a rule like this, to me, is like the tax code. I mean, honestly, who cares? Okay, seriously. like. Who cares? And yet, this is the kind of thing that ends up playing a major role in a game like this. And yeah, it's a game between two bad teams. I understand that. But I just feel like something like this is not right. You know, this is not good for the sport that this kind of a minutia garbage rule ends up <laughs> ends up uh, rearing its ugly head like this in a game like this. I just don't think that that's good for the sport. A hundred percent. And the fact that it took so long to sort it all out. And I agree 
all the way. And this has not been well done for the most part. First of all, it's often very difficult to even hear what the umpire is saying when they turn the microphone on. It's not coming in clearly. They say the bare minimum and they wait to the end to say it. I want to hear from them like we do in other sports. Here's what we've ruled. Here's what's being asked about or challenged. And now we're going to take a look at it. And then they take a look at it. And then they come back at the end and say, here's what we've determined. Here's the result of it. And here's why. We need Ed Hockley. Ed Hockley knew how to explain every little rule that was being called in the NFL game. These umpires could take a lesson from him. The ball was being touched by the defender who was out of bounds. Uh-huh. Therefore, the loose ball before the completion was touching a player who was out of bounds. So they- Therefore, by rule, that's an incomplete pass. So, yeah, I don't like that. And as far as the rule is concerned, yeah, I come away from this thinking I never knew this rule existed, the fourth out. In theory, what it says is even though an inning is over, even though a third out is recorded, a defensive team is required to record a fourth out by appeal before it's officially over and that run no longer counts. I never knew about this. And I'm trying in my head to think of why is that rule in there in the first place? I'm sure something happened many years ago to make them add this to it, some kind of play I'm not considering that makes it necessary or helpful in some way. But when you've got a crew chief saying he's never seen it in 24 years, nobody on either side seemed to really know what was going on. That just seems to me like, why is that rule in there in the first place? And it certainly didn't seem to benefit anyone for the right reasons in this case. I think the Byards got away with one. I mean, their runner did not do the proper thing. And he still got to score a run that wound up being the difference in the game. That's not right. No, it's not. And, you know, for people who say, well, like, this is part of the charm of baseball. You go to the ballpark and you'll see something that you've never seen before. That's not always a good thing. Okay, this was not good for the sport that something like this happened on Wednesday afternoon. But the thing was, we were just getting going in terms of bizarro plays in this game. So wacko play to end the top of the fifth and then a wacko play to end the bottom of the fifth. What was a three run fifth for the Nats? Now the set of the pitch. Swing and a line drive to left. That may fall. It's a base hit. One run is scored. Two men breaking for the plate to throw home. The tag on one safe. Tag on the other is going to be out. And the inning will be over on the out on the tag on the second runner. Yadiel ended up running right behind the Nats player who scored on the play, K. Bear Ruiz. You say, well, why was that? Well, it's because apparently K. Bear Ruiz didn't realize that there were two outs and he was thus waiting to tag up from third base on the play instead of running on contact. And so what ended up happening, at least as best as I could tell watching the game on TV, maybe you saw different, Yadiel had to wait up behind K. Bear Ruiz and K. Bear Ruiz ended up causing Yadiel to get tagged out and trying to score at home. Another instance, by the way, of an Nats base runner being tagged out and trying to score this season. This time, it's not Gary DeSarcina's fault, I don't think. But geez, you know, Cabo Ruiz, I've mentioned this. He's a young player. He doesn't make boneheaded mistakes. This was a major boneheaded mistake by Cabo Ruiz. This cost the Nats a run. And so if you want to say, well, Nats lose by one. Yeah, what happened in the top of the fifth certainly didn't help. But what happened in the bottom of the fifth didn't help either. The Nats essentially cost themselves in a net fashion, two runs in that fifth inning. First time wasn't their fault. The second time most definitely was. Yeah, and Cabert owned up to the mistake. He said he thought there was only one out. He made no excuses for not getting that right. And yet, to my vantage point, I, I can't say I was really watching that from the 
outset and, and focused on Yadiel Hernandez, but I'm pretty sure that he had to slow down as a result. You look at the ball land and then you turn and look and, oh my God, why are there two runners a couple feet apart from each other? And honestly, it was almost a double out of the plate. I guess they didn't need it because it was already two outs, but like they almost got Ruiz out in front of him. That's bad baseball, like I said earlier. And the number of mistakes they made, both teams made a lot of mistakes in this game, mental mistakes, physical mistakes, outs given away, all kinds of stuff that was not done well. And that's why I said that it really was not a good, clean baseball game at all. And this was high on the list for that. And yeah, he's a rookie. I'm not going to excuse that, though. I don't care what level of baseball you're at. You keep track of how many outs there are. And if there are two outs, you run on contact. That should not ever happen, whether you're 23 years old or 43 years old. And so that did cost them. You know, credit to him for owning up on it. He didn't try to make any excuse for it, but it definitely hurt them. And again, it's not like this is some blip for the team. Maybe it is for Kbert himself, but this team has made a lot of fundamental mistakes this year. And that is the reason they are currently 20 games under 500. They are one of the worst base running teams in the sport. I mean, that's what has been true for so much of this season. And we have seen way too many outs made at home plate. Like we have said, Nats came into games on Wednesday next to last in the majors in base running runs per fan graphs this season. The Detroit Tigers dead last, the Nationals next to last. It's been that kind of a year on the base paths for the Nats. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. It's getting hot outside. Weather impacts your windows. Hot days can cause a caulk to crack, seal failures, and condensation. Window Nation only uses top-of-the-line materials, including mold spray and quad max sealant. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Roaming Rooster, the best fried chicken sandwich in the DMV, is expanding. You've already seen our location by Section 238 at Nationals Park, but now we have recently opened locations in Pike and Rose in Maryland, and in Virginia, we now have Burke and Chantilly. Our chicken is grain-fed, antibiotic-free, and only free-range. Roaming Rooster is serving homemade enhanced bun milkshakes and frozen custard scoops at select locations and currently working on rolling them out to all locations. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Swing a line drive into right center field. Another hit for Bell. Chasing in deep right center to backhand. I'm Adris. Bell trying for second. The throw, the slide, the tag. Safe at second base. A hustling Josh Bell with the play right in front of him. Rounding first. Kept on going. Okay, so just the fifth inning. Just ate up however long we were talking about it. There was just so much to get into. There's so much more. The Nats in this game hit like crazy and yet somehow lost the game. The Nats scored seven runs, totaled 16 hits, 14 of which I think it was over the first five innings. The Nats over the first few innings had one hit after another. It was amazing to watch the extent to which the Nats racked up hits early in the game. Uh, The Nats had six walks. The Nats went seven for 14 with runners in scoring position. So two for 22 with runners in scoring position over the first two games, seven for 14 in just this game. So many Nats ended up having impressive games offensively. No one more than Josh Bell. What a monster Josh Bell was in this game. What a monster Josh Bell ended up being in this series. Bell on Wednesday afternoon got on base five times, three for three with two doubles, a single, drew two walks. Bell in this series, six for 10 with three doubles, three singles, and three walks. The two doubles, of course, stand out the most. Bottom of the six, he had a one-out double to right field on a one-two pitch. But I think the hit that impressed me the most was his first double. Two-run first, a two-out, full-count, what you call hustle double to right center field. Because if you're watching the game, this looks like a single. And yet somehow, the big, burly Josh Bell, because he's hustling, because he's running hard, ends up getting a double on the play. I thought that that was so impressive. We are seeing him on the regular get hits with two strikes. We are seeing him on the regular get on base multiple times per game. He now for the season is a 300, 400, 500 player, 319 batting average, 402 on base, 507 slugging. He is in some kind of a zone right now, and he has just been tremendous. I cannot say enough good things about Josh Bell right now. Yeah, look, it may not always look aesthetically pleasing the way that he moves around on the field, but you cannot say he doesn't give everything he has, whether it's in the field, on the bases, at the plate, everything. And this one made a difference. This was a hustle double that put him in position to then, on the very next pitch, score from second on Nelson Cruz's RBI single to right. So it was a gamble that was worth taking, and it paid off because it set him up to then score the run. So, yes, I was very impressed with that. It's hard not to be impressed with everything that Bell is doing. You reach base five times in a game, you're obviously doing something right. He's doing it in all facets, and it's. I know he's not getting the votes. I hope whoever it is out there that's deciding who makes the all-star team off the bench is noticing this because if we're talking about you know, well, somebody from the Nats has to make it. I think Josh Bell makes it regardless of that rule. I think he is a deserving all-star for what he has done this year. I don't care who else is at first base. I don't care how many representatives you have to have from a team. Josh Bell, in my mind, has earned an all-star bid.
he is the most deserving net to be an all-star this season. I don't think that there's any question about that. And, you know, honestly, I mean, it's him or Juan Soto who's going to end up going for the team. And if Soto goes, it's more just because he's Juan Soto as opposed to him having a great season. He hasn't had an awful season, but he's not having the season Josh Bell is having. That's as clear as can be. So Josh Bell, big game on Wednesday afternoon. Yadiel Hernandez had a big hit for a second consecutive game on Wednesday afternoon. Remember, Yadiel in the 3-1 win on Tuesday night and that Nats two-run eighth, pinch two-out, two-run double for a 3-1 Nats lead. Yadiel on Wednesday afternoon, two for five, solo homer and an RBI double. He and the Nats three-run fifth, a one-out RBI double off the right field scoreboard to give the Nats a 5-4 lead. And then Yadiel in the Nats one-run seventh, a two-out first pitch opposite field solo homer to left to cut the Nats deficit to 8-7. Yadiel in this series, four for 10, four extra base hits, a home run and three doubles. He also had a double in game one of this series. But I thought that the Yadiel homer like perfectly captured this game. You could not take your eyes off this game in terms of like every inning, something happening. No lead seems safe. The amount of lead changes in the game felt like about 37. I mean, if it's just like, you know, no lead was able to be held on for all that long. And uh, and Yadiel, you know, it was the end of the Nats scoring of the game. But that home run, you know, for a moment, it looked like, hey, the boys might battle once again and maybe might have a, a third consecutive eighth inning rally in this series. I mean, I'll be honest, at the end of that inning, it's 8-7 Pirates. And I'm thinking, there's no chance that's going to be the final score of this game. Whatever it ends up being, it's not going to be 8-7. Too much has happened. Too much can still happen. And it turns out that was the final score, 8-7. But a couple of really nice games for Yadiel Hernandez. Obviously, the big double to win the previous night's game and then RBI double and a homer in this one. Good for him. And and I liked it. This was this was the ADL that we started to see last year, the opposite field power, which he has, you know, as good as almost anybody, maybe other than Juan Soto. And in a game where they had, what, 16 hits, you said, um, that's the only home run they had. And it came on an opposite field shot for Yadiel in the seventh inning. So good on him. But I, I just I'm coming back to this. They went two for 22 with runners in scoring position and won both of those games. And then they go, what, you say seven for 14 in this one, and that's the game they lose. And isn't that the beauty of baseball, Al? Yeah, and I think it, it says something about what you do with runners in scoring position. It's uh, it's not always what, but when. And uh, we saw that over the first two games, and we saw that in this game. I mean, you get 16 hits and six walks, you really should win the game. And, and you probably should score more than seven runs. Even though the Nats were good with runners in scoring position, you know, they could have scored like 12 runs in this game, given just the amount of hits and walks uh, that the team ended up having. So yeah, a lot of guys did stuff offensively. Nelson Cruz got on base four times, RBI single, infield single, two walks. Uh, You know, Cape Ruiz did have the base running boo-boo, but he also went two for four with two RBI singles, a walk, and a stolen base. Andy threw out a runner on an attempted steal of second base. He gunned down Jack Sawinski on an attempted steal of second base in the top of the second inning. Uh, Juan Soto had a two-out RBI double for a 3-2 Nats lead in a one-run second. Cesar Hernandez, two for five RBI single and another single. Here's all you need to know. A-Ray Adrianza had a multi-hit game in this game. That's when you know you're rolling offensively when the likes of A-Ray Adrianza comes through with two hits. So it's a shame that the Nats were unable to win this game with all of the offense that they had. And that ended up being in no small part due to the Nats pitching. The Nets pitching has been so good lately, especially starting pitching. In this game, not so much, uh, both starting and relief pitching. Paolo Espino, our guy, the secret weapon, on the mound, on the bump, trying to pitch the Nets to their first series sweep of the season. Uh, He did not end up doing so well. Four runs in four and a third innings. He gave up five hits, two homers, a double, and two singles. He did have four strikeouts 
versus one walk. Uh, but the home runs loom large. Top of the first gave up a two-out opposite field homer to Brian Reynolds, the first of Reynolds' three home runs in this game. Yeah, oh, by the way, someone hit three homers in this game. And then Paolo in the top of the fourth giving up a one-out solo shot to Daniel Vogelback to tie the game at three. Uh, we love the secret weapon. He unfortunately was not at his best on Wednesday afternoon. No, and, uh, you know, it could have been worse. He got out of some trouble. I mean, that that first inning, first two batters, he's already down 2 nothing. Gets through it. Kind of went on a little bit of a nice run there, and you thought everything's going to be fine. Then another homer given up to Vogelback in the fourth, and then he gets into trouble in the fifth. And the pitch count wasn't high, but you could tell Davey knew he didn't really have it. He wasn't fooling these guys. And the Pirates lineup, the way it's set up, their one-two hitters, Hayes and Reynolds, are probably their best two hitters. And he wasn't going to let them uh, let Espino face them a third time. And so that was it. And then that sets in motion this whole sequence of events. So that was directly the controversial play. That had C-Sheck on the mound, and then that caused a chain reaction of bullpen decisions that was made after that, that I kind of questioned how that was all done, because I think in the end, Davey was asking for too much out of some guys who've had to throw a lot here lately. Yeah, so the Nats have an off day on Thursday, and Davey pretty clearly was like, okay, last day of school, let's just go, you know what, to the wall and just try to win this game. And he, he was using anyone he could. The Nats used five relievers in this game. And to Mark's point, the overall bullpen output was not so good. Uh, These five relievers combined to allow four runs in four and two-thirds innings, but it's not just that. A combined four hits allowed, a combined four walks issued, a hit-by-pitch and a wild pitch were issued as well. The bullpen, for the most part, was not good in this game, with the exception of really one guy. Andres Machado was good. He restored some order, some sanity to everything by tossing one and two-thirds scoreless innings as the final Nats reliever utilized in this game. We had what happened with C-Sheck, but the culprits here really were Carl Edwards Jr., Kyle Finnegan, and Sam Clay. You know, you talk about overusage. Maybe we are seeing that here with Carl Edwards Jr. He did not look good in this game. He officially allowed three runs in one inning. Top of the six gave up a leadoff homer to Brian Reynolds on a shot a 420-foot shot for StatCast to cut the Nats' lead to 6-5. Edwards in the top of the six also gave up a two-out single to Josh Van Meter on an 0-2 pitch. And then Edwards in the top of the seventh gave up a leadoff single to Michael Perez, then issued a wild pitch, then issued a six-pitch walk of Hoy Park, then got yanked from the game. Kyle Finnegan comes into the game, uh, and he comes into the game in a tough spot. Top of the seventh, runners on first and second, nobody out. Nats clinging to the 6-5 lead, and things do not go well for Finnegan. He gives up a one-out three-run homer to Brian Reynolds on a 1-2 pitch for an 8-6 Pirates lead. And then Finnegan in the top of the seventh also issued a two-out five-pitch walk of Daniel Vogel back. And then we got the adventures of Sam Clay in the top of the eighth inning. Uh, He faced three batters. He got just one out. He issued a leadoff six-pitch walk of O'Neill Cruz, then issued a hit-by-pitch of Jack Zawinski. So that was quite the parade of bad bullpen performance there. Edwards to Finnegan to Clay. Look, with Sam Clay, I don't think anybody's shocked, but with Edwards and Finnegan, it did seem like you were watching two relievers who have been used a good bit here lately. Yeah, they have. Now, they both had the previous day off because Corbin went eight and then Rainey pitched the ninth, so there is that. That's the explanation for it. The decision I didn't love here, and go all the way back to what I was talking about, Ciszek comes in to replace Espino, gets the double play that still ends up with a run scoring in the fifth, and he only threw two pitches to do that. 
And my thought was he's coming back out for the sixth. And if he can get through the sixth, then now you can go Edwards, Finnegan, Rainey, seven, eight, nine. And instead, Davey pulled Ciszek after those two pitches, and he goes right to Edwards to start the sixth. It's a long sixth inning for him. He ends up facing six batters, starting with the home run to Reynolds, and then comes back to start the seventh, only faces two batters before Finnegan has to come in. And I'm thinking at this point, how are they going to get through this game? How are they going to get through these innings? Davey said he felt like those top three guys could cover those four innings. But that's what essentially he was asking. He was asking for Edwards, Finnegan, and Rainey to cover four innings. Not that they can't do that, but given the workload they've had here over the last week, which, by the way, is a good thing because it means the team has been in every game and been in position to win, and that's why those guys are pitching. But I do think it kind of caught up with them in this. I would have liked to see Ciszek stay in, try to hold off as long as you could before going to the big three. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky, right? Because Ciszek has not been very good this season. Edwards has been. And so you feel like, all right, you have an off day on Thursday. Let me try to maximize what I have here. We'll get to the off day and hopefully complete our first series sweep of the season. But clearly, Edwards was not on. And I don't know if Davey knew that or if Edwards was hiding that or if just everyone was surprised by this. But Edwards did not look like the Edwards who we know. I'm never a fan, generally speaking, especially when you're a bad pitching team like the Nats are, of only having a reliever throw two pitches. That does seem like kind of a waste. Like if you get the guy warmed up, he comes into the game, he only throws two pitches. And oh, by the way, you still have what, six, seven, eight, nine, four innings to complete if you're going to win the game. Really two pitches? Like that seems, that doesn't seem right. So I'm with you in that regard. But this was a game, you know, we haven't had many games like this in which like it's just a parade of guys who don't have it. This was one of those games that this this was reminiscent, honestly, of the 2021 Nats bullpen where you just had a lot of games like this where nobody had it, a lot of walks, hit by pitch, uh, wild pitch. And you just, you know, you had no faith that like anyone was going to come through. The bullpen did not get the job done uh, on Wednesday afternoon. And the Nats end up, uh, unfortunately, not defeating the Pirates to get like I said, what would have been the Nats' first series sweep of the season. So off day on Thursday, then a four-game series against the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park Friday through Monday. Monday is July 4th. The Nats this season are 6-24 and against the National League East, and a big part of that is the Nats being 1-8 and against the Marlins. That really is something. It's easy to kind of lose sight of these things. If you look at the Nats this season, they actually haven't been bad against the National League Central and even the National League West. Really, the bulk of the Nats losing has come within the division this season. They have gotten brutalized by the NLE so far this year. And it's the Marlins that's the surprising one, obviously. You kind of expected the Mets and the Braves. And, you know, they caught the Braves and the Phillies a couple weeks ago when they were red hot. So you get that. The Marlins one is kind of baffling to me. Now, they have excellent starting pitching, the Marlins do. And we've seen Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez. I mean, they, they are very good, but they don't hit the ball that much. And we've seen the Nationals both lose some close, low-scoring games to them, but also lose a few blowouts as well to a team that doesn't generally score a lot of runs. And I think that's maybe the disheartening thing is that if you want to believe that the Nats are, you know, a couple years away from being back in contention again, well, you got to climb the ladder in the division. You'd like to think they're at least close to, if not on par with the team right in front of them, the, the fourth place team, the Marlins. No, right now there's a pretty big divide there. The top of the division, we know how good they are. We know the Phillies are trying to hang in there despite all their issues. And then the Marlins I would not call a good team, but they are clearly better than the Nationals. And that concerns me somewhat as we're thinking big picture here and what's it going to take for the Nationals ultimately to get back to the point where they are contending for a division title again. 
Yeah, I mean, the Marlins certainly are ahead of the Nats in terms of pitching right now. And to your point about some of the blowout losses, uh, Nats at the Marlins May 16th, 8-2 loss. Nats at the Marlins June 7th, 12-2 loss. The Nats have gotten whooped up on by the Marlins uh, multiple times so far this season. Uh, the Nats scheduled starting pitchers for the series against the Marlins. Again, it's a four-game set. We will have Josiah Gray on Friday evening, Jackson Tatro Saturday afternoon, Eric Fetty Sunday afternoon, and Patrick Corbin on Monday morning. Breakfast with Corbin on July 4th. We'll see what goes down. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. That's NatsChatPodcast.com. Dot square dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Take a deep breath. You've earned it after that game on Wednesday afternoon. And we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. We are two wild and crazy guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.